I'll be back. Chewie. We're home. Are you not entertained? My name is Bond. James Bond. I'm funny how? I mean funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you. My name is Nina Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. I'm a doctor, not a doorstop. I see dead people. Is this city Alpha 5? Mission Log. We have set out to rescue our pal Woody from the evil chicken of Al's toy barn and the dastardly influence of Stinky Pete. Whether we can convince Woody to come back with us yet remains a mystery. I'm TJ, and joining me on this quest, on this episode of Retake, is the Internet's own Joe Darnell. How are you, Joe? Hey, howdy. Hey there, TJ. How you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, you have a friend in me, Joe. Aw, thank you. Shucks. Uh, bunny ears behind your... <laughs> so uh, we have a uh, we have a situation that we're dealing with. You're not in a good internet situation anymore. No, I'm not. We're recording. You're, we're talking on the phone with each other, but recording our voices into these professional microphones, and hopefully nobody will be the wiser except that we're telling them. Yeah, we just have to act natural, like we're sitting in the same room on um, comfortable lounge chairs. We got a glass of something sparkling in our hands. This is this is totally where we are. Yeah, yeah. We're in your living room. Yep, totally. The kids are playing with the toys in the corner. Yes, they are. Well, speaking of toys, um, we're going to continue our uh, our series, you might say, on Pixar, but specifically Toy Story. We're going to we we've talked about Toy Story, so now we're going to talk about Toy Story Two. And uh, the interesting thing about this, Joe, is that I um, I hadn't seen this film in several years. Believe it or well, not, you are a grown enough. man. At last um, I checked, you know, it's not necessarily an adult film, though, right? It's the kind of thing you watch with the kids if they're it's their favorite. You watch it with the kids if it's their favorite. But if it's not, you know, do you? Yeah, well, so they actually watched it a couple of months ago. Um, or maybe, might even only been a month ago. But I wasn't able to sit down with them and watch it. So I watched it last night after the kids went to bed because I was working all day on some stuff. Uh, and uh, I it was amazing to me how just large swaths of this movie I had kind of forgotten – or didn't remember what was coming. So in a way, we were fulfilling the um, kind of the tagline of retake where we watch it again for the first time. Yeah, I remember we talked a lot about this film in the past in uh, relation to the entire trilogy, but you never really spoke very highly of Toy Story 2, and it was my favorite. Well, I I like Toy Story 2. I wouldn't call it my favorite, but I, I think my position right now, Joe, is that successively – I so I like Toy Story – I like Toy Story 2 a little more, and I like Toy Story 3 even more, which is strange because that hardly ever happens with sequels. Yeah, I can't, I can't think of there many that have done that for me, except for if you take some of the rotten eggs out of the Star Trek series, I could say that some of the sequels are actually my favorites. It's nothing like – I mean, it just gets progressively better and better. Um, same thing well, goes for Star yeah, Wars. Just, you but, but you can't – But you, that's like saying if we removed half the voters, then this other candidate won. I mean – that's that's not quite the way that works. So mm. with Star Trek, mm. uh, it's it's Star Trek is more of a rock, rocky road, and I say that as a Star Trek fan. Yeah. But Star Trek movies are a, a rocky road, and and you have great movies, and you have terrible movies. So they're more mm. of a hit and miss. Oh, ooh, ooh, I just thought with, of one. It's this, um, Terminator. It's like Terminator and Terminator Two. It's better the second time. Well, well, 
Okay, so often I was just about to say, oftentimes the second, you know, a sequel, a single sequel, or the or the next sequel or the second sequel will be better than the first. That often happens. Look at Empire Strikes Back. Look at Toy Story Two. I think it's better than the first one. But then often what happens, like look at Return of the Jedi. What what happens is they kind of come back down off of their the high ground and they don't do as well for the third outing. When and when we get to Toy Story Three, I think we'll discuss you know just why I love Toy Story Three so much. But in the, for for this case, you know, Toy Story Two I think is a better film than Toy Story. And we'll we'll I don't know if I can quantify why. I just I like it better. I feel like it flows better. I feel like it has a better, more cohesive story. I I kind of identify more with what's going on. I guess I I love the relationship of the characters. Where in the first Toy Story, we're, boy, we're getting into analysis already. I haven't given any of the film stats, but in the first in the first Toy Story film. You know, the characters were at odds. They were getting to know each other and, you know, Buzz and Woody. Woody kind of hated Buzz and Buzz really didn't care for Woody and they they got into spats and arguments and uh, it wasn't great as far as the relationship goes. And this, yeah, I think, yeah. is a much more fully formed story and relationship and and it, it, it makes it more engrossing and more – the characters more lovable, I think. Yeah, they went through a huge rocky patch in the first one and I think what the first one does really well is express some really like sort of immature character traits on Woody's part and Buzz. They were both pretty immature toys but on the kids' level, it's really super entertaining and for the entire family, it's just really creative. So in mm-hmm. uh, Toy Story, it's just so creative and so imaginary and that that is what gives it its entertainment value. It's not necessarily that it has the best animation by today's standards. It's feeling dated, but you would think the story is amazing. And with Toy Story 2, however, I think that the story goes farther but it wouldn't be nearly as impactful without the basis for Woody and Buzz's relationship, for deluded Buzz yeah. and why is he deluded. But then here, by the time that we had Toy Story 2 coming out, I think that a lot of the fans were actually something like toy collectors themselves. Because with Toy Story, you had all this hype around the toys. The idea that these toys come to life was novel for any sort of film franchise. So you wanted to collect Woody and Buzz. And it was really hard to get them and all the other characters. So when Toy Story 2 made fun of that and explored how difficult it is as collectors to get into them, how the the collector becomes the bad guy and everybody is laughing at themselves because... They are collecting these toys in real life, but for a completely different reason. And then they introduce new toys and gave Woody this awesome backstory. And that was something that I think um, the Toy Story films in general has lacked, is that we don't really know the story surrounding Buzz Lightyear, except that he is from a television show and it's super popular in the 90s. But we don't actually know what that story is in the movie franchise you know, mythology. Though that has been explored in spinoffs and direct to you know DVD type adaptations of Buzz Lightyear's story, but that's I, I don't think that those really count. I just like though with Toy Story two that you, they gave Woody so much more to do that I don't think we had anticipated, and then it's really fun. Like his pals Jesse and the uh, what's his name uh, Bullseye. They're really great Bullseye, pals. Yeah. They're they're just really fun, and so I enjoy Toy Story two more than the first one because Buzz and Woody's relationship is now reciprocal, and there mm-hmm. is a more relatable experience. I mean, I, I guess I've been jealous at times 
but I've never been jealous like Woody was in the first film. So even though it was really hardcore and intense and very provocative, I thought that this film was far more relatable for Woody, and that's where I really connected with him. Yeah, and you said something earlier I wanted to go back to where the second film kind of – it ta- so, so you have the first film, which I think the second film is better, but the interesting thing about that is the second film wouldn't be possible without the first film and what it sets up. You kind of you kind of alluded to that, and I think that's an interesting phenomenon that happens. I mean the same thing goes for me and uh, you know, because we've been talking about Star Wars a lot lately on Movie Bite, I'll say Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Back. It just – it's not – uh, it's not possible to have The Empire Strikes Back without Star Wars, but The Empire Strikes Back is the better film for it. So it's an interesting relationship. And and I don't knock you know Toy Story or Star Wars uh, Episode Four. Um, I just think that their sequels, their follow ups, are better and and more well thought out and more fleshed out, which is an interesting phenomenon that happens. The other thing too about this film is this is when Andy is still in his heyday for playing with the toys. But he is in a circumstance where he's not actually involved with the toys. So, in- well, it's only been at least in the real world. I don't know how long in the in the story, but in the real world, it's only been four years since uh, first Toy Story came out. Right. So he's still actively playing with his toys, but we don't get a lot of that on screen time in Andy's room because. Andy is gone to camp, which just makes sense. That's what happens during the summer. But then you also have a really kind of funny and unexpected way for Woody to be kidnapped, to be stolen, really. And that was just quite unexpected. Like, we we really appreciated the believability when Woody knocked Buzz out of the window in the first film. And... It's really hard when movies start kind of echoing their original storyline. So you have Woody causing a toy to become lost, leaving Andy's house, and now it's necessary for someone to go after him. And ultimately, though Woody was taken by Andy to go to Pizza Planet in the first film, we realized that whether or not Woody had tagged along with Andy to Pizza Planet, there there would have been something like a rescue mission eventually that may or may not have been successful to rescue Buzz if Woody had not been right. taken. But in this right. film, how, because all these movies kind of pattern after each other, like the toys get lost and must return to their owner, how do you do that without being kind of lame? And this was something that they wrestled with when they were trying to craft a story. And they were in animation, and they had a completely different setup for how Woody would be taken away. And they were animating it and everything, and it was just not working well for screenings internally at Disney and Pixar. So when they when they realized just how shabby it kind of was, and it wasn't plausible, it wasn't as interesting, it was convoluted, they had to go back to the drawing board and recreate why is it that Woody ends up away from Andy's house, and why is it that Buzz goes after him? And I really like mm-hmm. the outcome because it's mysterious. You introduce Al, which was actually set up in the first film because you saw Al's Toy Barn c- television commercials oh, yeah. in the first film, which was uh-huh. uh, completely unexpected that, that they made that great tie-in. I love it. We're 11 minutes into talking about this film, and normally I start with the stats of the film, so let me do that now. So the film was released on November 19, 1999, uh, so still in the 90s. The director was uh, actually three directors, or uh, so John Lasseter is listed, and then it says co-directors on IMDb: Ash Brannon and Lee Unkrich. I don't know exactly what that means or how the work was divvied up, but those are the three names attached as director to this film. 
The production budget was $90 million. The original Toy Story was only $30 million, so their budget was a little higher. The worldwide gross was $497.3 million. The original Toy Story was $373.5, so it made more money, and they had a bigger budget. The cast was Tom, uh, it was Tom Hanks, Tim Allen, uh, jo- Joanne Cusack, uh, Kelsey Grammer, Don Rickles, Jim Varney, Wallace Shawn, John Ratzenberger, Annie Potts, Wayne Knight, John Morris, Laurie Metcalf, Estelle Harris, Jody Benson, and Jonathan Harris. Uh, I, I hadn't realized that uh, Jody Benson was in this film uh, as the voice of um, the tour guide bar, or, or anytime you see Barbie, it's uh, it's uh, Jody Benson, which I hadn't realized. But now that I think about it, it does sound like the Little Mermaid. So, <laughs> um, and and all the all the characters uh, are the voice. Any characters that are re- returning are voiced by the same people who voiced them in the first film, which is always great. The composer was again Randy Newman, returning from the original Toy Story. So, Joe, why don't you tell us about this story? Yeah, so while Andy is away at summer camp, Woody has been toy-napped by Al McWiggin, a greedy collector and proprietor of Al's Toy Barn. In their all-out rescue mission, Buzz and his friends Mr. Potato Head, Slinky Dog, Rex, Ham, the Piggy Bank, uh, spring into action to rescue Woody from ending up as a museum piece. They must find a way to save him before he gets sold to Japan forever or they'll never see him again. So, all right. Well, I mean, yeah, I think everybody kind of knew that information, but I want to go back to the cast briefly. One of the things that's really lovely about this film is just how amazing all of the voice acting is. And they are definitely hyping it up from the original film. Like Tom Hanks and Tim Allen seemed like the only two characters that really came into their own in the first film. But here, mm-hmm. I felt like all of the voice acting was just. All spades. It was just amazing. I love it because yeah, it's agree. so entertaining. They have their best bits. They have all these great one-liners. They're playing off of each other so well. You see how even side characters like Mr. Potato Head mellows out a little bit because of his relationship with Mrs. But he also has this great friendship and you know camaraderie and kind of you know rivalry with Ham the Piggy Bank. Uh, you know, whenever they're playing back in Andy's room. But then when they're working together, you, you just see how, you know, Slinky Dog is kind of quiet. He stand, stays in the back, but he is also the loyal dog to Woody. And you imagine that uh, Slinky Dog and Woody are some of Andy's oldest toys. They were around long before yeah. the others came along. So there's just all these fun dynamic relationships among the toys that you wouldn't expect for anything on a child's level. This stuff is really sophisticated relationships for a simple story. And, and you got to remember when this movie came out, so many Disney movie stories, it seems like they centered around this one or two characters, Disney princesses and Disney princes and some you know fantastic villain like Sage Afar. And so, so much of the movie is centered around two people that are opposing each other. Whereas in the Pixar way of doing things, they, they only had, what is it, two or three films under the belt. This was the third or fourth film they made, and they were all un- ensemble stories. But this was the first yeah. time that they did a sequel, and it was so entertaining because they, when they were re-exploring these original characters, I felt like just the entertainment value from the banter between the characters was even better than the original. Yeah, yeah I agree. Well, and and in that kind of vein, talking about more characters coming into their own, like the movie also feels like it's coming into its own from it, it, you know within the universe. Um, one of the things that uh, 
I, I wrote very early in my note taking uh, was uh, in my hastily scribbled notes as I was watching the movie is man, this movie is heavy. Uh, at least at first, in the beginning, because you know the the whole leaving Woody on the shelf thing is so gut wrenching and and just I don't know there was something about it. Maybe I was tired. I don't know, but it just was so like oh man, this is this is really you know because you're looking at it like as a, as a child you you know you might leave your toy behind or put it over there or whatever and set it aside, but but we're looking at this from Woody in the toy's perspective and. Woody's been shelved, and it, just the way the whole thing is presented is just so heavy and gut-wrenching. It's, it's, it's incredible how they're able to do that, and all the toys walking up, and they're saying, what happened? And, and you know, I can't remember what, what it might have been Ham said, Woody's been shelved, you know? And it was just so, like, everybody was just astonished and astounded and just aghast, you know? Yeah. It was, it was pretty heavy. I found that, yeah, as well, when, when I came out, when this movie came out, I was uh, about 12 or 13. And the impression it made on me was also very powerful because the, I was about as old as I think Andy was. So in the first film and in the second one. And so this idea of now's the time of your life where you've worn out your first favorite toy and now maybe you're going to lose him, or maybe he winds up in the yard sale. Like it doesn't mean anything in the real world, except that, you know, a child is just growing up and you know, he doesn't keep all of his things forever or he's a terrible materialist. But in the story of the film, yeah, it's it's gut-wrenching because Woody's life is really on the line and he's given his life to Andy. So it feels a little bit like betrayal to be left on the shelf. But And then if Andy's mom were to come and pick him up and put him in the yard cell or even worse – you wouldn't hold it against her because you know you know why she's doing it. It's nothing personal to well, Woody, but for for a beloved toy like that, I might hold it against her. Yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I, 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 I what I think is that that he's at a crossroads where he honestly doesn't know if he'll wind up in the attic for the next fifteen years or in the yard sale or just in a right. in a junk drawer where she intends to sew him back up someday but never gets around to it. Sure, yeah, now that I could see. You know, and to, and to the mother's credit, you know, when Woody w- does wind up out at the uh, yard sale by accident, you know, by Woody actually going to try to rescue uh, the squeaky penguin. What, what was the penguin's name? I don't remember. Um, Wheezy. But, you know, he she, she she's like, oh, no, no, this is not for sale. This is – no, we, we're not doing this. So to her credit, you know. Yeah. But, of course, you know, Al is the dastardly – He's going to get it anyway, no matter what, and so he steals it. Yeah, well, and he's so charismatic right at the get-go. You wonder, what on earth is he up to? He, he, And this is where we ought to probably say something about the humans in this movie because, TJ, whoa, they are so much better than they were in the first. Well, that, that's interesting that you say that, that the humans are better because they are. But my, one of my notes was Andy still looks pretty creepy. <laughs> he does. Yeah. He, he still – he still doesn't look like a human. Something about him just looks very off. It's like the hollowness uh, the of his too. eyes and kind of like he doesn't yeah. have have the right kind of weight to his body. And something about the yep, head yep. shape doesn't feel native to a caricature. Whereas Andy's mom got a great makeover. She feels a little bit more human. And then really who I'm thinking about the most has to be Al. Al is... A, a huge character in this film has a lot of screen time and you see his face up close and they did a great job with him modeling him. Well, and I think with Al, um, it, you, you, when you see, cause when you see Andy, you think of, you want him to be good and perfect in, in your mind or however that works. And, and he's not quite there, but with Al, because he's a bad guy, it doesn't matter so much. 
And and I think that, that to Pixar's credit, I think they knew this because they don't spend a lot of time with Andy or his mom. And, and in fact, not, it's a little you get a little more of it than you did in the first film. The first film, you mostly saw feet and they kind of stayed away from the faces. Here, I think they felt like they could show more of the faces with with uh, Andy and his mom. But at the same time, they kind of shied away from it and showed you more. They were they weren't afraid to show you the bad guy as much. And I think they understood that. When you get to Toy Story three, it's it's clear as the the, the digital um, uh, effects have progressed and the CGI has progressed to the point where they looked great in Toy Story three. Yeah, they learned a heck of a lot about that kind of animation thanks to Brad Bird while working on The Incredibles. Yes, yes, I think that really propelled things forward. Uh, but but here, yeah, it's just a little creepy. Well, and the thing about The Incredibles is it's very stylized, and so people don't necessarily have to look exactly like people. Here, it's clear they're trying to make them look like people, but they just don't quite get there. But I agree that it's better than what we saw in Toy Story. But you have to remember, it's you, you forgive it because it's 1999, and the art form was still very young. Yeah, yeah. So what did you think about like just the progression through Act 1 – where where did your mind go while watching it through this time? Because it's it is fresh on your mind. I, I know this movie frontwards and backwards. I've watched it. Oh man, uh, there there is a possibility that this is one of only like two or three films in my life that I have watched at least a hundred times. Um, mm, mm. Yeah. Well, okay. So I, I think you have to start at the beginning, and I love the way this film opens. Uh, this film yeah. begins. Uh, with with Buzz and uh, he's on a mission and he's blasting into a planet and he's surrounded and he's getting out he's pulling all these shenanigans and getting out of things and and it's all great and then he's defeated by Zerg and we zoom out and what do you know Rex has been playing a video game now it's a little bit of a stretch but it works very well like I just loved the whole opening and the you know what's become tradition in Toy Story is to open the film with with the the toys playing at whatever they're playing at. You know, and then I think it's the next one where we get the uh, evil ham as the bad guy. And, you know, it's just so much fun. And it's a great way to open the film. And then we go straight from there to Woody interacting with with uh, the dog, which is so great. I don't we didn't get much of that in the first one, did we? No, actually, the pup wasn't a part of the family yet. He was actually. That's Andy's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So so we immediately see that's right that's right so we immediately see that Woody has this great relationship with the dog and they're great friends and at first you think oh no the dog's coming they're all hiding and ah, you know and and then all of a sudden it's a, everybody it's all chaos and then everybody's laughing and and Woody and the dog are are cutting it up so it, it's it's such a great interaction with the dog and, and he comes into play later helping Woody out and you know they kind of have a rapport that I really love and then just throughout the film it's very apparent and this is what I love about this film I think. You know, I like Toy Story 3 better, but I think this film's strength is the relationship of the characters. Nobody's at each other's throats, and this is the only Toy Story film where we've gotten that so far. The toys are all at peace with one another. Uh, the relationships are great. I really love Buzz and Woody's relationship now, and I love Buzz because especially when you get to Al's toy barn and he's looking at the aisle of Buzz's, and then that one, he wakes up that one with the tool belt because he really wants that tool belt. Yeah. And, you know, he kind of wakes up and, you know, he. I love the the remarks and the sarcasm. He's like, tell me I wasn't this, you know, Deluded. delusional. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and he's like, no, you totally were. You were as delusional as this guy. This is what you were like when you woke up from from being in the in the packaging. So it's and it's a great callback without it being like without it being a repeat. 
You know, and you, you get that interaction. Oh, and then you get the interaction with, uh, you know, as much as there's heart in the story, there's also so much humor. Like you get the interaction with, with Nubuzz and Zerg and, no, I am your father. <laughs> you know, it's just so great. It's just so great. Well, in that, that particular reference with Zerg ought not to work as well as it does because it is a movie reference. But it is so well played that, it, it, yeah, you have to be dead and not enjoy their fight on top of the elevator and all the ways that they were, oh, yeah. uh, you know, parodying <laughs> so many other action films. Well, and then it was such great cutting, too, because they would cut to the elevator and they have the, you know, Muzak, the elevator Muzak uh, going while he's kind of tapping his foot and trying to get to the airport, you know. And then all of a sudden they cut up there and it's the big, you know, you know, orchestra music. And he's fighting Zerg and they cut back down to the elevator and he's like, he's looking at his watch and there's this Muzak playing. It's it's such great story, you know, humor humor mixed with drama you know, almost over drama because it's all fake, you know, with, with Nubuzz and Zerg. Um, yeah, it's so, so good. Um, and then I, um, one of my favorite characters, and I know this is controversial. Uh, my sister-in-law hates this character. I don't, I don't quite know why, but she hates this character. Mm, I love this is a family related controversy. (laughs) I suppose I, uh, I just know that she hates and anytime, like when she, when she saw that I got, uh, Natasha, my daughter, a uh, 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 Jesse uh, doll model thing uh, for Christmas. She was like, "Oh, you had to get Jesse, like, because she just doesn't like Jesse because she finds Jesse annoying and dumb." I really love Jesse, and I, I, I guess like somehow, even though I've never, I'm not a toy, and I've never been in this situation. Like her situation is empathetic. Like you empathize with what she's going through. She had this. Friend, this girl who grew up, she grew up with this with this girl, and then the girl tossed her into a box and left her beside the road. And which which what what kind of a person does that? First of all, uh, second of all, <laughs> like I still have beloved toys from when I was young. You know, don't don't judge. Don't as they say on Twitter, don't at me. <laughs> well, our our generation learned well from watching these movies yeah. that you never throw away any of your toys. <laughs> so you never know, yeah. So, but her story is somewhat empathetic, and and this is where I I think I texted you when this happened, and I certainly wrote in my notes. Why does Pixar make me cry? And that's when Jesse is telling her story to to Woody, and it's just it's so heartbreaking, and you understand her her um where she's coming from and why she's trying to get Woody to stay with her because to her being on display in the museum is far better than being locked up in a dark box and you know foam um and so you you understand what's going on and in, in the end she comes around and she's like no you know I'm I I don't want to do this to to Woody and then it it, it turns out you know spoiler alert uh that uh that Stinky Pete is is really orchestrating everything in this way, and then that's what really turns Jesse. But I really like Jesse as a character. Uh, she has heart and spirit, and she you know, empathizes she with her. She's one of my favorites because she reminds me a lot of uh, just to, like old-fashioned toys in general yeah. and was really fleshed out in a subtle way. Mm-hmm. So she is a girl's toy, but you could also see boys playing with her because she's a cowgirl sure. and belongs to the television show with Woody's Roundup, which makes perfect sense. And none of the television shows in the 50s were actually as cool as Woody's Roundup. But if they were, <laughs> it was so you'd cheesy. understand why they were on the cover of Times Magazine and getting their faces on plates. Yeah. Like th- this makes total sense if they could pull this off. And you could also see why they were demoted by things like the moon landing. So 
I, I think that like Jesse's backstory is that she is trying, or should I say, she is essentially consistent with the character of the television show, only transported to this universe. Sure, right? sure. Well, and so but is then so on is top Woody. of that, she has a child. Yeah, and so she's got this uh, tragic relationship with another girl. And imagine how long she has been in storage. I mean, that is pretty severe. <laughs> that would cause some serious disorders. Yeah. And you can understand why Al, by the same token, is as screwed up as he is. But he has a lot more because he's never been with a child. He's always been in the box. And he's been in the box for something like 50, maybe 60 years. Um, so going back to Jesse, though. I'm really sympathetic with her, and I think that she just doesn't have a lot to work with because you think about the girl, I think her name was Emily, that Jesse belonged to. Emily, from her generation, actually didn't have a heck all that many toys, so that girl probably had Jesse and then just a few other dolls. And so Jesse's own personality never developed like a character like Woody's Mm -hmm. where he was in a toy box with Andy's other action figures and also had Andy's younger sister's toys. Like in a manner of speaking, they were very well socialized. They always had a lot of experience together, all these different personalities rubbing off on each other. So they had all this interaction and as characters they actually matured along with Andy a, a lot. Sure, they've they've had a whole they've had a whole culture together in Andy's room, which is something that Jesse never had, mm-hmm. and so Jesse has always been kind of isolated. And when it gets to her, you know, bitter, sad story, it's a real tearjerker. But th- that's the tearjerker for me. It's it's um, it's not hard for me at the beginning. It's it's really hard for me when it gets to fruition with what Jesse has gone through. Yeah, and. Um, but yeah, I, I want to go back to just a lot of the fun stuff involving Woody's arc because he gets to Al's room and it's got to be terrifying. He gets out of the you know the uh, the case and Al's left him in this apartment setting, this suite, and it's just bizarre. Like I think that this is far more entertaining personally than the adventure that Woody and Buzz have at Pizza Planet and then eventually in Sid's room. Now, I I know why that is special, but personally, I think that this is amazing because of where the, the, the links it, it just takes Woody in really dark places, but then also excites him with all this grandeur and all this nostalgia when he's introduced to why he even existed in the first place. It's so fun. And him playing with the other toys and realizing how they worked. What they did is um, Pixar actually got like they made up all of the memorabilia for Woody's television show. And then they created like mock-ups that were just pictures and then others they actually fabricated and they had them together and they shared those with uh, Tom Hanks. And so they wanted Tom Hanks' honest reactions to the merchandise surrounding the television show. Uh And then he gave his like candid, you know, just uh, off the cuff reactions to all these things for Woody's roundup. And he would laugh and he would respond when he figured out that it was a snake in the boot. And that was actually a toy. And then there was the old record player, but it was stylized for Woody and the roundup gang. He, uh, Tom Hanks responses to those toys was real. And then they put those in the movie as Woody's responses. That, that is so great. That is such a great way. And, and they feel so authentic when he's doing it too, which so now it makes even more sense. And, uh, and I just really enjoy Bullseye. I mean, oh, he yeah. is 
the only toy that doesn't really talk. He uh, He's a meek but playful, loyal dog that has always known of Woody. Like he, he knows Woody, but he's never met Woody. So that's a really powerful experience when he is with Woody. And then when there's that turn where it looks like for a while there, they may be separated again forever before they're reunited yeah. in a really fantastic way for the arc at the end of the film. Like Bullseye is a character that is really easy to overlook. And I think he does get overlooked a lot in Toy Story 3 because he isn't, he isn't super important. He's just along for the ride. Yep. But here even Bullseye has a huge part to play for the finale. Yeah, yeah. Well, Bullseye is uh, – Bullseye's. I, I love Bullseye, and I wish they did more with him in Toy Story 3. But you know, he does have a great role to play here. I really love at the end when he uh, he gets his uh, feet mixed up trying to display that he's one of Andy's too. Um, he, he's just such a great character. He's one of those characters that's able to communicate without words, which always to me makes great characters. You, well, not always, but when it's done well, usually it makes great characters. So then let's see here. Where are we? We're somewhere in the middle of the film, and I, this is where I know we're not really talking about criticisms on the shows anymore. You know, We, we have to just talk about how everything is five stars. But if I could criticize this movie, I will say that there are a couple of uh, parts where they're still entertaining. They're still great. They're still good. But if anything, it's like these are parts where it kind of drags a little bit and you can lose interest. And those are the parts where they are just setting up so much in Al's toy barn or while Buzz's gang is on the journey to try and find Woody. So it's really awesome when they're crossing the street and it's so funny the way that all these terrible things happen around them in the street, but it doesn't affect them. But when they get into Al's toy barn, that was actually where it loses some of its oomph in the story mm. to me personally. What do you think? I, I liked everything in to- Al's toy barn. I can't think of anything I didn't care for there. Um, I, I thought that there was some okay. great stuff going on. I loved I loved the stuff with the tour guide Barbie. Like that was just so great, you know. Um, I love the stuff with with uh, Buzz and everything. You know, there was some other inserts for the story's sake, uh, and I didn't think that any of it was boring or badly done. I I enjoyed it, so I can't I I I cannot identify with your perspective here, Joe. <laughs> no, I didn't say any of it was bad. Um, just that it kind of sags compared mm. to the rest of it. So all of it's great, all of it's super entertaining, and then the stuff as it flows throughout, you know, Toy Barn just feels kind of like it's good. And it's very good, but it doesn't hit like the mark with other things that have gone before it and things that are going to come. Hmm. Um, like, for instance, during that whole segment, you have the the witticisms and the snarkiness between Mr. Potato Head, Ham, and Slinky Dog and Rex. And while they're adding so much personality, Buzz is just honing in on the mission so much that Buzz is practically not engaging with any of the other toys which annoys me a little bit because I don't actually think of Buzz as being all that quiet. The way they introduced him in the first film, he had so much to say when he thought that he was a real space ranger. Well, if that's part of his personality, he's a talkative guy. He's actually extroverted. I don't see Buzz being so quiet the way he is through a lot of the first, well, most of this film. So he's usually on a mission. He's got his internal conversation up in his head probably. But as he's going along throughout Al's Toy Barn, he's so concentrated on mission, mission, mission that we don't get to really appreciate if Buzz has personality anymore. So like you take away the diluted part of Buzz, what is he? And we already know what Woody is like. 
because he doesn't have to be deluded to have a personality, and none of the other toys do. But Buzz during this part is along for the ride, focusing on the mission, and does some very cool things. But really, it's not interesting what's happening to Buzz again until they reintroduce diluted Buzz and diluted Zerg. If you say so. I didn't have a problem with it. I thought okay. I, th- I thought Buzz had a fine arc and personality, but you know, but I also enjoyed diluted Buzz too. So I was fine when he came back when they brought another Buzz in to be diluted Buzz. Yeah, yeah, I love diluted Buzz. <laughs> so rich, like he he takes over the show when they're going up the elevator shaft. Yeah, but but I think you know non diluted Buzz, like wizened Buzz, is fun too because he you know he has these quips like was I this diluted uh, and uh, was I this delusional. And uh, he he has this loyalty that is uh, somehow distinct and unique from Woody's loyalty. And in fact, in this film, he even reminds Woody, you taught me this. You know, you, you did this. And now what's wrong with you? Wake up. And uh, and it, I don't know. I, I enjoy Buzz. And I think he serves a great role here in both diluted and non-diluted forms. So that's, that's just my opinion. Where I think the film kind of sagged a little um, – would be more towards the end. Now, the stuff rescuing on the plane, that was all good. But before that, where you're going through the the various uh, uh, railways uh, and, and, and with, the, with the, uh, you know, the baggage and stuff, I felt like it kind of sagged in there a little bit. I, I, I didn't find that very interesting. The escape from the plane was pretty good. And, and, and when, especially when, when Buzz comes racing in with Bullseye, that's really good. There are two things during that segment where they're racing to the airport that I'm not especially fond of. We got the the Pizza Planet delivery truck. Oh, that was which so is bad. A great Actually, I would say that's probably the but worst part not of the film. At, yeah, I, I completely agree. Like that, there's no way they could pull that off. Yep, it was a huge stunt. Uh, it, it felt like it was the kind of thing that should have been written out of the movie, it, it, at least in the earlier stages of developing the story. Yep. Though, though it was really well executed for what it was, that still doesn't feel like it's up to snuff with the rest of the film. Yeah, I, I think I think got, the problems with it are conceptual, not execution. Yeah, yeah. So so then you got in the airport. I I kind of disagree with you. That I really love how they they show just how big this city is and how big this airport is, so that it feels really lifelike. But then. When they're in the system where all the baggage is on conveyor belts and stuff in the back, which is hilarious, overwhelming, and just a great scope of what may or may not actually go on in the back of an airport (laughs) with your luggage, there was one thing that does not make sense, and hardly anyone talks about this, but there's this point where there are two green suitcases, and the toys in Buzz's gang have to divide to try and find the right one. So Slinky Dog and Buzz go one way and the other characters go another. Well, the problem is that Slinky Dog's body gets stuck in another suitcase and he gets derailed from the conveyors. Oh, yeah. And Buzz, yeah, Buzz freaks out like, Slinky, you know, he's going to rush after to save him. But then we never see what happens. Yeah, yeah. They, They cut and they never explain what happened to Slinky Dog and how he returned. Yeah, it was pretty frustrating. I, I, I had the same thought. It's like nothing they didn't. Fix it. They didn't. They didn't tell us what happened. <laughs> I wish they had not left that that thing in the film yeah. because it just does not make any sense. Yeah, they didn't need it there, and it didn't make sense. You're completely. You're, you're totally right. So um, back to the good. The good stuff, though. Um, I want to go back to things pertaining to uh, Stinky Pete. Like I, I think as a character, I just love 
the performance. Uh, I, I love Kelsey Grammer as the voice of Stinky Pete. And just the packaging is so entertaining in and of itself. Yeah, yeah. Where he is in the box and strange things happen in the apartments that could not possibly be explained unless Jesse had done them because there was nobody else who would be motivated to mess up Woody's plans. And Woody's going through this controversy where he absolutely loves his legacy now, which he just discovered. And he is incredibly loyal to these other toys because they are a part of his legacy Mm -hmm. and he is their hero. But then in this other life that he has actually had in the real world, he's got Andy and all of his pals in Andy's room. So he has a future at the museum, even if it means doing nothing Or he can go back to Andy's room where his time is coming to an end. Yeah. So I I can see where Woody was really torn because there are an even number of pros and cons to both. Well, from a certain point of view, there is anyway. Yeah, from a certain point of view. Yeah. I mean, and eventually he gets his point of view corrected. Like the, the, the it's far better to be loyal than to have this notoriety at a museum. But I think that while Woody is going through this controversy in his head, I think that probably one of the significant turning points that kind of brainwashed him, in addition to what Stinky Pete was doing, was just the experience of being polished up and fixed up by the, by the, um, what do you call the, not that I want to call him a toy maker, but he's not a toy maker, but the, the guy who came in and specialist that fixed Woody up and stitched him back together again and painted him over. Yep. Yeah. That guy does such a great job and he's from another Pixar film called Jerry's Game. Yeah. So when this old man comes in and Jerry does a great job, he makes Woody feel like new and it's in that moment that his identity as Andy's toy is completely removed because there's no there's no markings left. There's no sign of wear and tear. And so in that moment, it's like he gets to relive the 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 new mint in the box feel and he feels like it is where I belong. I do belong in this glass cabinet box. And I, I did find when he wiped off the uh, the paint off of his foot where he could see Andy, the writing of Andy again, I found that to be a little um, like convenient. Like you can't just – once paint is dried, you can't just strip it off quite that easily. I don't know. But but yeah, I, I get your, I get your point. I'm getting distracted by the details. Yeah. <laughs> and this is also where they had that super charming scene where – Bullseye Jesse and Woody are just biding their time and they get to wait around for Al to get ready to go to the airport. And so they're playing together because they're looking forward to their trip. And this is the first time that their camaraderie gets to really show Mm -hmm. where they're all on the same page because Woody is now in agreement to join Jesse and the rest after, you know, the uh, Jesse's sad story. And then, you know, Stinky Pete's, you know, you know, what he called toyish platitudes, (laughs) his appeal to Woody to go to the museum and do something that'll last forever. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, but then Woody goes into all out like play mode where it's like they are playing out their own stories just for fun and giggles. And it's so funny. Mm -hmm. The character animation they did with Woody was really something else. And that moment where he's like, you know, strutting around like he is something special yeah. going in and out of the box in different ways. Yeah. 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 That was really funny. And the and what really makes it work is the, the brilliant character animation. Yes. Which was, it was really like the first time that they had ever done anything like that at Pixar. And it was just so 
so silly and so funny. It was uh, different from the kind of stuff that the, the kind of humor you have in general from the other films that preceded it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. All right, Joe, are we ready to uh, to wrap this up and, and talk about our ratings and our, our final thoughts? Yeah, yeah. I mean, th- there literally, you could go through this film and talk about every minute of the film. Oh, because sure. It, it, there's so much that's beautiful on screen, and there are so many great lines. There are podcasts that do that, and we're not one of them. <laughs> well, what do you think, Joe? What is your rating? What is your recommendation? What is your final thoughts and review? Uh, honestly, this is my favorite Toy Story film and still one of my favorite Pixar films I love the overall appeal of it. This is where I actually enjoy Buzz a heck of a lot. Like in the first one, it was hard to, I mean, psychologically, the way they get into your head, I was either going to root for Buzz or I was going to root for Woody. And then in the end, this idea that both Woody and Buzz are then both working together to get back to Andy's room yeah. kind of kills that competition, the competition spirit. Mm-hmm. But in this film, it, it, like it, that competition doesn't exist. So it's really fun to just root for all the characters and see all of them where they end up. So I love this film, and uh, I give it five stars. Yeah, five stars. All right. Well, I agree with you that it is a great film. As I've said, it's better than Toy Story, and it made uh, more money. It had better special effects. It had uh, better CGI. It had more budget, and it had a great story. And it is the only Toy Story film where our characters really aren't at odds with each other at all. And the only the only time where they're slightly at odds is is for like, you know, 60 seconds when Buzz has to talk sense into Woody. And then Woody's like, what am I doing? And, and then that's it. And I love the camaraderie between the characters. I love the story. Uh, I think I already mentioned that. Uh, so I, I would highly recommend this film. I don't quite rate it five stars. I rate it four and a half because it is a great film. So that, that's my recommendation. That's Joe's recommendation. Uh, obviously, I, I think that everybody has probably seen it, but if you haven't, please go do so. It is such a great film, and it I, I can't believe it had been so many years since I last seen it. I just don't understand how that happened. So fulfilling the mandate of retake to rewatch it again for the first time. Uh, go, and, go, go forth and do. So, Joe, uh, people are going to want to talk to you on Twitter probably about this film. Where can people do that at? Yep. So you can find me on Twitter as always. I am JCS Darnell, and I'm glad to talk to you about movies and everything else. And I am TJ Draper Pro on Twitter. You can find Night Owl. Uh, that's the network this podcast is on. You can find Night Owl at Night Owl FM on Twitter, and you can find us at NightOwl.fm on the internet. In the show notes and all the links and the various things uh, for whatever it's worth and for the few things that we might put in the show notes for this particular episode are going to be at nightowl.fm slash retake slash 23 because this is episode 23. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you'll uh, tune in next week. Uh, what are we talking about next week? I'm getting my weeks confused. Let me pull up the schedule here. Oh, so next week we're scheduled to talk about Logan, which is uh, coming to theaters or in theaters. I don't remember which. Uh, but uh, we are scheduled to it's talk in about theaters. So it's in theaters now. I thought it was from the way I was seeing the tweets. I, since I quit Movie Bite and I don't do a new, uh, I don't watch a new movie every week at the theater. I really don't know when the movies are in theaters anymore. So, so we're reviewing Logan next week. I'm really looking forward to that. The trailers have made this film look spectacular. I've heard nothing but good reviews about it. Uh, and of course, Patrick Stewart's in it. So why wouldn't it be good? Uh, so yeah, it's going to be great. And that's what we're talking about next week. So tune in next week to hear us review that film. Thanks so much for listening, and thanks uh, thanks for doing this uh, movie with me, Joe. As always, pleasure. Bye. Bye.